Now, I get the privilege of introducing our speaker today, and he has been a great encouragement to me lately, and I know that he'll be a great encouragement to you today. He is one of the two Canadians that I know in my life, and his name is Chris Taves. Get up, give it up for Chris. Thanks, Ryan. That's awesome. Yes, definitely sign up for that to equip class. It's going to be a great time. So a couple weeks ago, I was able to take my wife on a weekend trip. It's something we try to be very intentional about, to get away, to spend time in our marriage together, and, and uh, man, do that. That's not what this message is about, but do that. Be intentional. You've got to put it on your calendar to make it happen, though. It doesn't just magically happen itself. But we were able to get away to this just magical place called Canada. Um, yeah, it it was beautiful, though. We went to Nova Scotia, and we, we rented this Airbnb, this little beach cottage on this edge of a, of a peninsula. Crazy, beautiful, just soaked in God, just had spent time in our marriage, investing in each other. It was a great time. And I knew I was going to be opening this series wrecked, and so I was processing all of this. And the way we had to get to the peninsula was we took this, this ferry, this ship, it holds about 220, 250 cars, trucks, semis, RVs. And we drive onto this ferry from Prince Edward Island, and we take the 16-mile journey across the Northumberland Strait to Nova Scotia. It takes about an hour and 10 minutes. So we're on this big ship, and I knew because I had, I'm a map guy, I had looked at my map before, that the peninsula we're staying on, we, we're going to pass it on our way uh, to, to the port. And so being the guy that I am, I'm, I'm looking for this peninsula. I'm, I'm looking for this shoreline because I'm trying to spot this house, this beach house that we'd rented that I'd never been to before, and I'm trying to spot it from the ship. And I see the peninsula, and I see the lighthouse on the end of the peninsula, and I thought, I know it's really close to that lighthouse, but I couldn't quite see it yet. And so we get off the ship, we drive off the ship, and we go around. It takes about 45 minutes to drive all the way around to this peninsula. And here we find this beautiful little beach house, this little cottage. And the, the, the peninsula at this point, we're two doors down from the lighthouse at the very end. And the peninsula is only about 100 yards wide at this point. So it's like a football field. So you could look out to your left, and you could see the sun setting in the ocean there. And you look out to your right, and you see the sun or the, the, the horizon there and the darkness over that ocean. So you oceans on both sides. Just a beautiful place to soak in the presence of God and to invest in your marriage. And being there for a couple days, I realized something. The ship that we had been on, it goes back and forth all the time, about nine times a day. So the first day, I heard this, this low rumble, this engine noise, and then I realized, oh, that's the ship we were just on. I could see it out in the distance there. It didn't look very big from where we were, but I remembered how large it was. It carried all those cars and carried all of us. And I saw the ship from the shore now, a different perspective than I was at the day before. And I thought something. I sat down and just kind of watched the ship. And I thought, I wonder if that ship sank right now. I wonder if anybody from the shore would notice. 
I wonder if that ship had a collision and wrecked right now. If, I wonder if it just tipped over like the Titanic and just started sinking down. If anybody from the shore would pay attention. If that ship sunk right in front of my eyes, would I even care? I was safe on shore. Let's pray before we get started. Holy Spirit, we need you in this place today. We are desperate for you. Whether we know it or not, we are. Father God, would you please take our hearts this morning, 100% of each of our hearts, and would you absolutely crush them? Would you wreck them? Would you break them in half? Would you wreck our hearts, God? The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit, a wrecked heart. That is the, your heart, the heart of the Father. Jesus, we need an encounter with you today. Because we, when we encounter you, we know that everything changes. God, would you shatter our pride, strip us of every little last bit of pride today so that we would leave this place completely and utterly changed. Different people than when we came in. God, would you wreck us today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul knew a lot about being wrecked. He had been shipwrecked, so physically wrecked, and his heart had also been wrecked. He knew two different variations of being wrecked. And here was a man, the Apostle Paul, that had given his early life to destroying Christians, to killing the church, to stopping any followers of Jesus. He hunted them down. He was literally like a modern-day ISIS leader. That was the Apostle Paul. And then one day on the road to Damascus, you know what happened? He was on his way to hunt down more Christians and kill them, and then he had an encounter. He encountered Jesus. The persecutor encountered the one he was persecuting. And from that moment on, everything changed. His world got flipped upside down, complete 180. He got shifted inside out. He was messed up for Jesus. The love that he had previously been blinded to, he now knew that love. He'd encountered that love. He could see it firsthand. And this Pharisee named Paul went from being a persecutor of Jesus to a pursuer of Jesus. Persecutor of Jesus to pursuer of Jesus. See, only Jesus can do that. Only the love of Jesus can do that to a stone-cold heart like yours and mine. And Paul was wrecked, completely wrecked by Jesus. See, you and I are the same way, though. We're just like Paul. Every single day, you and I have the opportunity, the choice, consciously or subconsciously, to either persecute Jesus or pursue Jesus. And I'm not talking to just people who don't know him. I'm talking to Christ followers. I'm talking to Christians. Every day, you and I have the choice to either persecute Jesus or pursue Jesus. See, there is no middle ground with Jesus. You cannot straddle the fence with Jesus. You're either hot or you're cold. You're either persecuting him or you're pursuing him. And we're living in this world today of lukewarm Christianity. And God says, blah! No, I can't stand it. 
I will spew that out of my mouth. I have not called you to be lukewarm. Either persecute me or pursue me. Don't straddle the fence. Either be cold or be hot. Either you're all in or you're not. See, everything, listen to me, everything that you are becoming, everything that you are becoming starts with the condition of your heart. Everything. And Paul, once his heart met the love of Jesus, his life shifted into gear and he pushed all of his chips into the middle of the table and he was all in, completely on fire, hot for God. And Paul gave the rest of his life to pursuing Jesus. He wasn't perfect. But he gave the rest of his life to bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth to rescuing lost and broken and hurting people in the name of Jesus. And he traveled extensively 2,000 years ago around Europe and Asia Minor. You can imagine how difficult the travel was in those days. They don't have the kind of transportation we have now. And he planted church after church after church and he encouraged person after person and he loved the lost and he equipped the saints. And we now categorize these trips that he took into three different missionary journeys, each of which took years to complete. And after the completion of his third missionary journey, Paul went back to Jerusalem. And after he was there for about a week, some Jews from Asia accused him of bringing Gentiles into the temple. Hmm. Paul knew that he was called by God to love Jew and Gentile, that God so loved the world, the world that he died for, the world, and not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Doesn't ever tell us if he actually did this. He was accused of this, but it's a good thing anyway. You know, if you're pursuing Jesus, you'll always have those religious people accusing you of something. Always. Take it as a badge of honor. So Paul is seized and dragged by this crazy, fanatical, religious mob outside of the temple, and he's just about to get beaten to death when he runs into a group of Roman centurions. And the, the centurions arrest him, but by doing so, they basically save his life. And long story short, Paul spends the next two years in Caesarea in chains and in prison but we know what happened there. He didn't stop. Prison didn't stop him. Chains didn't stop him. He wrote letters to the churches encouraging them, much of which is the New Testament today. And two years later, eventually, Paul and a bunch of prisoners were rounded up and they were put on this ship headed back to Italy, headed back to Rome. See, Paul is a Roman citizen. He had the opportunity to, uh, to ask Caesar, to plead his case with Caesar, to appeal unto Caesar. And so he's on this ship with a bunch of other prisoners. He's still a prisoner. And they're sailing for a few days. And all of a sudden, the weather turns rough. And this hurricane force wind, the Bible says, came in and it blew the ship out to sea. And of course, the sailors did what they could. They started chucking stuff overboard. They're wrapping ropes, it said, around the hull to try to strengthen the ship, throwing more cargo overboard. And it says the storm raged for days. It got so dark that they couldn't see the sun, they couldn't see the stars. Until the Bible says in Acts 27, until all hope was gone. All hope was gone. 
See, that's, that's when God does his best work, though. When all hope is gone. And Paul, remember, he's a prisoner in the ship. Paul, he gathers everyone together, guards, ship members, crew members, and other prisoners. And he says this, he says, take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Even though the ship will go down, yeah, the ship's going to wreck. It's going to go down, Paul said. But last night, an angel of the God that I belong to stood beside me. And this is what he said. He says, don't be afraid, Paul. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone. God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone. So take courage, Paul said. I believe God that it will be just as the angel said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. And the next morning, dawn, the sun came up and they could see a little bit on the horizon. They could see this, this image of a coastline. They didn't recognize it, but they saw there was, there was sand and a beach and they thought if we could just run the ship up onto the beach, we could save ourselves. And so they cut away their anchors and they hoisted what was left of the sail and they made for the beach. But before they got there, they hit a sandbar and the ship began to break into hundreds of pieces. And so everyone, the crew, the Roman soldiers, the prisoners jumped overboard and they grabbed whatever they could. They grabbed pieces of wood from the broken ship. They grabbed driftwood. They grabbed planks. But the Bible said everyone made it safely to shore. All 276 people on board, they made it safe to shore. Everyone on that boat, it was wrecked, but they made it safe to shore. See, that is the heart of God. That is the very heart of God. And God, in his goodness, has granted safety to everyone. Do you see it? Here's the thing. You and I, right now, we're on a ship. We're on a ship. It's called this life that we're living. And the ship that we are on is going to wreck. There is no doubt about it. This ship that we're on is going to wreck. Your life on this earth will be over. It could be in the next five minutes. It might be in the next 50 years. You don't know. But this ship is going to wreck. Your life has an expiration date. The ship is going down. Your house will not last. Your Range Rover will not last. Your dream job will not last. It's all going to wreck. The ship is going to wreck. That is certain. But the heart of the Father is that everyone will make it safe to shore. And see, God in His goodness, He made a way. And the only way to shore is to grab firmly whole, a hold of a piece of wood, an old wooden plank, a piece of divine driftwood, if you will, an old rugged and a blood-stained cross which can carry you and I and everyone safe to that shore. That is the only way. You cannot swim there. You cannot do it on your own. You will go down. The only way is to grab a hold of that beautiful, rugged cross. And of course, it's not about a piece of wood. It's about an action of love that took place 2,000 years ago when God sent his son to walk across the universe to this dusty little world and die a death that should have been yours. 
and take a punishment that should have been mine. See, when all hope was lost, God made a way for us. But the ship is still going to wreck. The ship is going down. The ship is sinking. See, whatever you are chasing in this life, doesn't matter what it is, it will wreck unless you are chasing Jesus. Is anybody awake this morning? This country that we live in, we are so blessed that we can meet here and talk freely. This country that we are living, though, this, this wonderful country, it will wreck. America will not last. And I see so many of us, Christ followers, we put our hope and our trust in America. And don't get me wrong, we need to be the best citizens as possible in this country. But hear me very carefully. This country, this empire will not last. You are a citizen of a different country, first and foremost. Do not forget that. See, whoever is elected president this November, whether it's a donkey or an elephant or a monkey, it doesn't matter. They cannot save you. There's only one name that can save you. See, that president, every other president, they will be forgotten. There's only one name that will last, and his name is Jesus, and he alone is on the throne right now. Yesterday, today, forever, he is on the throne, and he has, listen to me, he has all authority, not a little bit of authority, not some authority. He has all authority in both heaven and on earth. So what are you fearful about? But sadly, see, most people who call themselves Christ followers are either so fascinated with this ship that we're on or they're so worried about the ship they're on that they forget the Savior. They forget there's an eternal shore that we're going to. This life is but a tiny blip, my friends. A tiny blip. You're going to be off the ship before you know it. The only question is, what's your destination? And here's the thing. Are you going to spend your life living for the ship? Or are you going to spend your life living for the shore? Are you living for what is temporary? Or are you living for what is eternal? Because the ship is going down. Only what's eternal will last. The ship is going to wreck you and I and everyone else. We will end up in the water. The only question is, will you make it to shore? Will your neighbor make it to shore? Or do you even care about that? Will your coworker make it to shore? Will your family member make it to shore? Will your kids make it to shore? Will your grandparents make it to shore? See, if you don't know Jesus today, I've got really good news for you. He made a way for you. When all hope was gone, he provided a way to shore. Eternal salvation, a glorious life with him forever, forever. So you and I are, are too sinful to get back to the presence of a holy God. But Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came to this earth 100% God, 100% man, and he died in our place. He made a way for us to get back into fellowship with our Creator. And we can have that fellowship here on the ship, but also forever on the shore. And if you don't know Jesus, you can, you can simply turn to him right now. It's not a magical thing. You just, right here in your seat, right now, you say, Jesus, I turn to you. I choose you. I choose you because you first chose me. And he will reconcile you. He will redeem you. And by doing so, you're grabbing hold of that old rugged cross and it will take you safe to that eternal shore where you will live 
with him in eternity and spend time in his presence forever. It's, it's more beautiful than you could ever imagine. And if you do know Jesus or you just made that decision right now, then I want to talk to you for a few minutes. If you're a Christ follower here today, here's my question for you. Are you wrecked? Is your heart torn and broken for the lost? Are you wrecked? Because the ship is going down. Listen to me, every person that you've ever met represents a soul. Their body will not live, but their soul will live on forever. Every person will spend eternity somewhere either on that shore in the glorious presence of Jesus, or they will be lost forever in darkness at the bottom of the sea away from the presence of God. A terrible place, but it's real. Hell is real. And the very heart of our Father, the very heart of our Creator is to save those who are on their way to the bottom of the sea. And He did whatever it took when all hope was gone. And he will do whatever it takes. He's pursuing those that are lost. And as sons and daughters of God, you and I, that is exactly what we need to do to be absolutely wrecked for the lost. See, the sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit, a heart that is crushed and wrecked. That he can work with. Because that's how the heart of the Father is. In Matthew 9, Jesus was with his disciples and and there was a large crowd there. And it says when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them and his heart broke. His heart was wrecked because he saw that they were confused and they were helpless and they were like sheep wandering around without a shepherd. So he turned to his disciples and he says, guys, the harvest, it's huge, it's great. But listen to me, the workers, they're few. So now we need to pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. And he told his disciples to pray this. Jesus knew that if they asked God, if they asked God for more workers, that they would receive the answer. And the very next verse, Matthew 10, 1, says the prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called the 12 of his followers and he sent them into the fields. He tells his disciples to pray for workers and they get done praying and Jesus says, the answer to the worker shortage, the answer to the worker problem, the answer is you. Go ahead and pray, absolutely. That's what Jesus tells us to do. But I can tell you right now what the answer is. The answer is you. Jesus called them and then he sent them. You are called out. You are the ecclesia. You are the called out ones to be among the people. Jesus has called you and he has sent you. The answer is you. We are standing in the middle of harvest fields every day. They're all around us. There's lost people everywhere we step. What else is there to give your life to? What else is there to give your life to but this? The answer is you. First, you must find a heart that is wrecked. You have to strip the pride away. God has to crush your heart to be able to see the people for who they truly are. 
But then you say, Chris, what do we do after that? Okay, well, if you have a wrecked heart, then God has something to work with. But here's what Jesus tells us. This is awesome. Matthew 10. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. (laughs) I love that. Don't be dramatic. Keep it simple, he says. You don't have to go off to Africa and all these other places, which is great, but start here. Start now. Later on in the chapter, Jesus says, if you don't know what to do, start small. Give a cup of cold water in my name to someone who's thirsty. I mean, we can all do that, right? See, this is not supposed to be difficult. We're all called to do it, and we, we somehow think that, oh, she has the gift of evangelism. Oh, he has the gift of evangelism. No, the answer is you. The answer is the church. It's all of us. We've made it so difficult in our own minds. But that's just our flesh, and that's our enemy, the devil, talking to us. They've tricked us. They've lied to us. See, if your heart is wrecked, then this is not difficult at all. But if you're full of pride and blinded by selfishness, and we've all been there, yes, then of course it's difficult. That's why we must start out with a wrecked heart. We must see through the eyes of the Father Through Jesus, the condition of our heart is so important, it's got to be wrecked. And Jesus continues, he says, go to the lost, the confused people, right here in the neighborhood. Right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Where do you go? Where do you start? In your neighborhood. Maybe try your neighbor. Have a block party. Tell them that Jesus is here. Begin a conversation. Bring them a drink of water. I don't know. This is not difficult, but we've made it so difficult. The answer is you. The place is here. The time is now, church. Jesus continues. He says, bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. Touch the untouchables. How many times a day, a week, a month do we walk by the untouchables? Jesus says, don't think that you need to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. Enough excuses. He says, you don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. You are the equipment You are the mouthpiece. You are the messenger of Jesus to a lost and broken world. He's trying to work through you. Don't overcomplicate it. The answer is you. The place is here. The time is now. And then he says, and don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Why? Because the right words will be there. My spirit will. Who lives within you my father will supply you with the right words he's just looking for obedience a wrecked heart and then steps of obedience in his book just walk across the room that bill hybels wrote he says just listen to the holy spirit he will give you the words to say and let god do the rest just sit back at that point and watch god work through you your job my job is to obey to take steps towards people, to see the broken, to see the needy, and with the compassion and love of Jesus, to take a step and then another step 
and another step and walk across the room to that person that the Holy Spirit is prompting you about and just begin a conversation. This is not difficult. To listen to people. People are dying to tell you. Just listen to them. To love them with the love of Jesus. To just keep stepping towards people. To keep cultivating the fields. To keep having conversations. See, your enemy, the devil, he wants to tell you, and I know it because he tells me this. He wants you to be frustrated with people. He wants you to be annoyed with people. He wants you to hate people. Aren't you glad that your Savior, Jesus Christ, wasn't annoyed with you? Didn't hate you? Wasn't frustrated with you? And Jesus tells his disciples, Guys, there's great irony here. You're going to be proclaiming so much love, yet at the same time experiencing so much hate. But don't quit. Whatever you do, don't quit. Don't cave in, because in the end, it will be worth it. See, church, we need to stop expecting lost people to have the same love and light that found people have. They're lost They don't know. They need to be rescued just like you were rescued at some point in time. They just don't know it. And Jesus continues, he says, don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. Don't be bluffed into silence. How many times have you or I been silent about Jesus? When the Holy Spirit's just teed it up for us and he's prompted us and then we don't take the step, we don't open our mouths, we are just silent. Church, listen to me. People are going to an eternal hell because of our silence. Because I've been silent, because you've been silent. This is not tiddlywinks. We cannot, we will not, by the grace of God, be silent anymore. I'll never forget, a couple years ago, I was on a work trip in South Dakota, and it was late at night, and I was at this restaurant bar and just eating some dinner. And I noticed the bartender, and I could feel the Holy Spirit prompt me to just go up and talk to him, go say something to him. And I kept arguing with God, have you ever done that? Not a good idea. And I kept feeling this prompting. But I didn't do it. I just walked out of the restaurant. I didn't obey and I was silent. God forgive me. He would have given me the words to say. That was my pride getting in the way. That was my selfishness getting in the way and I stood on shore and I watched the ship sink right in front of my eyes and I didn't care enough to say anything. I saw the wreck, but I wasn't wrecked enough to do anything about it. What if, what if this church, this small little church, our hearts got wrecked like the hearts of Jesus? What would happen in your neighborhood? 
What would happen in Peoria? What would happen in the world? Look what Jesus did with 12. The harvest is plentiful. The ship is going down. Not everyone's going to make it to the shore. Would you stand with me? We're going to do what Jesus told his disciples to do. We're going to pray for workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. And I believe that when you and I pray for workers for the harvest, that God's going to show us the answer like that. That Jesus is calling you and sending you to be a harvest worker. The answer is you. Some of you know that my grandfather was a missionary in Ethiopia, and I'm very blessed to have that heritage. There's many churches that are flourishing and alive today because of what he did 40, 50 years ago in Ethiopia. It was not easy, but he listened to the voice of God. And one day, he and this, this worker beside him, this Ethiopian church worker, they were walking on a mountaintop. And the worker turned to him and he said, your feet are beautiful. And my grandfather kind of st- said, what? Say that again? And the Ethiopian turned to him and he said, your feet are beautiful. That's kind of an odd thing to say, right? That doesn't make sense. Someone else telling you your feet are beautiful. I mean, no one's feet are beautiful. And then the, the Ethiopian man turned again to my father and stopped him, or my grandfather, and he quoted Isaiah 52, which says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger bringing good news. Breaking the news that all is well. Proclaiming good times. Announcing salvation. Telling Zion, your God reigns. Feet beautiful? Yes, they are. If you're a messenger of good news, of the greatest news ever, if you're bringing good news, if you're taking steps towards the lost and the dying, then that is the most beautiful thing there ever is. Steps of obedience, steps of faith. God says that is beautiful. Taking a step towards your neighbor, walking across that room, bringing just a simple smile, whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, your job is to be open and wrecked and listening to him. That word of encouragement, that cup of cold water in his name, those steps, they are beautiful. And this morning, I believe that God is asking us to take a step, a physical step. I believe that God wants you to take a physical step this morning. So I'm going to ask you, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to come just up front here to this altar, to show Jesus that we're serious, we are dead serious about this. That we're listening, that we're obedient, that we're ready to be harvest workers, that we're wrecked with compassion and love for the lost. See, there's nothing spiritual about you coming forward. There isn't. But what it signifies is a beautiful obedience. Because if you can't take a step forward in this place today, then how can you walk across the room and talk to a stranger about Jesus? How can you take a step towards your neighbor to talk about Jesus? How can you talk to anybody? The only thing that will keep you from coming up front here is your pride. If you can't take a step forward this morning in the safety of people that love you in front of a God that's pushing you forward, 
You're just going to keep watching ships sinking all around you. You can come, start coming forward now. Take some steps toward the front. Just lay down your pride. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is not about comfort. This is about being completely and utterly wrecked because the answer is you. The place is here. The time is now. Are you going to give 50% to God or are you going to give 100%? Are you going to be lukewarm? See, that doesn't cut it. He wants all of you. He wants everything. He wants you burning hot. He wants you on fire. Are you going to be a persecutor of Jesus or a pursuer of Jesus? See, there is no middle ground. It all starts with who you are becoming. It all starts with your heart condition. And if you're saying this morning, God, wreck my heart. God, wreck our hearts for the lost. God, we are stepping forward this morning to obey. The ships are sinking and we refuse to let Satan win. God, you see these people who have stepped forward in a beautiful obedience. We refuse to let one more person sink on our watch. By the grace of God, we are going to tell the passengers around us at Walgreens, at Walmart, at work, wherever they are, that Jesus loves them and died for them, not in a weird way, but you'll give us the words to say. All we have to do is step forward. Keep on stepping. Keep on obeying. Keep on listening. Keep on believing. We're going to give our lives to this call, God, because there is nothing else. There's nothing else to give our lives to but this. The ship's going down. This life is short. We want the heaven to be full because of us. That's what you've called us to do. We're going to walk across the room to others. We're going to cultivate relationships with people at work, with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family. We're going to obey when the Holy Spirit tells us to have that conversation with someone. God. We lift your name high, not our name. We lay down our pride, strip us of pride, God. Crush our hearts, wreck us when we see people all around us. Help us to have those conversations to keep on stepping. God is going to do something mighty with this group of people. May Peoria never be the same after today. God, wreck our hearts. God, wreck our hearts. Let's sing this to him.